At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. We're free, free forever, we're free. Gosh, I just love that song, the declaration that it makes that we have great freedom in Christ. Do you agree with me? Oh, man. Freedom to love this world, freedom to serve this world, and freedom to declare the love of Jesus to a lost world that definitely needs it. Because let's be honest, freedom is not exactly on tap in this world. It's not something that's front and center every single day. In fact, in this world, we're kind of served up a warped message of freedom. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Got some examples for you. I have a blue card in my wallet. It says, Chase, freedom on it. You think, wow, freedom. I can go and spend, spend, spend to my heart's desire. What's the first thing you find out about a credit card? Limit. You can spend this amount. And yes, bondage. Proverbs 22.7 tells us that the borrower is slave to the lender. So freedom comes with slavery. Okay, what else you got, world? How about two, three years ago, one of the models of the Jeep Wrangler you could get was the Ultimate Freedom Edition. You could get it decked out, four doors with the LED light bar and the big wheels and everything. Ultimate Freedom, I can go anywhere. This thing is Rubicon Trail rated. But that sweet vehicle comes with servitude for six years at almost $900 a month. That's close to a $60,000 vehicle. Freedom again bondage. In the early 90s, George Michael sang a song called Freedom, and when you listen to this, you think he's declaring that he has freedom, but then you take a closer listen to the lyrics, and he's saying, I was enticed into this music industry with the hopes of being free, but I'm actually in bondage. They're saying to win this race, I need a prettier face. I have to change. I need brand new clothes, and I need to work really hard to maintain a space on your TV. I'm not free. I want out. The world advertises freedom but serves it up to us with a big box of limitations. Whether it's a glamorous career in music that's tied up with a nice bow of bondage, or if it's that sweet vehicle that comes with years of servitude, or even something as small as a credit card. Again, it's served up with slavery. It's a horrible word, slavery, isn't it? The dreadful, terrible thing to be enslaved. It's the opposite of freedom that we have in Jesus. And as we turn into Romans chapter 6 today, we're going to look at that. If you don't have a Bible with you, we would love for you to take one. We say this all the time. There's a stack of them back there. We would love nothing more than to have to go to Troy and say we need more Bibles because Elginac is so hungry for the Word of God. So if you get an opportunity and you need a paper Bible, please feel free to take one. We're going to be in chapter 6 this morning in your Bible, verses 15 to 23, and we're going to see Paul take this idea of slavery, and he's going to use it as a metaphor to make a very powerful point. The thing he tells us is that everybody is a slave, but only Christians are free. So we're free, 
but we're slaves. It's a little difficult to understand, isn't it? It might almost sound a little bit offensive, but what Paul is saying is very relevant to us today, the same as it was relevant to his audience in Rome that was receiving this letter. So before we get started, we kind of get warmed up here, get our juices flowing, let's review the theme of this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, which in its essence, from front to end, is a beautiful declaration of the gospel. So in these past weeks, in the coming weeks, we've been looking at this letter in Romans. Paul has been talking about how eternal spiritual death, as well as physical death, has come to every member of the human race because we followed in Adam's footsteps in sin, in rebellion before a holy God. It's our sin nature. It's just who we are. But it's also something we do every single day, and if we're honest, probably every single moment. Sin, by definition, is any word, thought, or deed that falls short of God's standard. So it makes us ask the question, what is God's standard? Well, from the word of God in Leviticus, from his very mouth, he says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. A tough standard to follow. Does it change in the New Testament? What are Jesus' words? God in human form. What did Jesus say? Jesus in Matthew says, Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Same standard. And guess what? We can't be perfect. It's impossible for us. Thankfully, one man was perfect. Thankfully, Jesus was perfect. And by his standard of perfection, he was able to die for an imperfect, unrighteous human race. And that's us. His sacrifice saved us, not just from the wrath of God, but as we're going to see this morning, his sacrifice saved us to righteous living through his power here on earth. That's God's glorious grace. That's the message of Romans. And as we logically follow this beautiful redemptive gospel, it leads us to the understanding that we're in one of two places. We're either faith-led followers of Jesus, or we're still under the curse of sin. And this takes us back to that shocking claim that Paul made, the big idea here this morning, that everybody is a slave, but only Christians are free. So it begs the question, are you free? To know the answer for sure, Paul asks us another question. He says, who do you obey? Your freedom is directly tied to who or what you obey. Paul's using slavery here and obedience as metaphors because they were well understood by that audience in Rome. Low estimates was one in three people in that area, in that point in time, were slaves. They understood what obedience meant. High estimates were almost as many as one in two. Half of the population was either a slave or an indentured servant. So they knew very well what it meant to be a slave, what it meant to be obedient. And the primary marker of being a slave was, and still is today, obedience. We can't serve two masters. We can't serve Christ, and we can't serve sin. You're going to love one, and you're going to hate the other. Paul's point is that spiritually, whichever thing you submit to, conform to, becomes subservient to, that is the master in your life. If you, you submit to sin, you're a slave to sin. It's your master. If you submit to Christ in obedience, he is your master. Let's take a look at what Paul says. Romans chapter 6, we're going to start in 15 and 16 this morning. 
He writes to the church in Rome, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slave to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So Paul knew that even though we've been made new in Christ by his grace, that we're still battling with our old sin nature. And he knew it wouldn't take long for the thought to come up in our minds, if I'm under God's grace and I'm free from the penalty of sin, then what does it hurt if I keep on sinning? Can I just continue to do that? And if you look a little bit back in verse 1, it's the exact same question that he answers, but he answers it from a little bit different angle this time. And that's to show how important the answer to this question is. Because he explained in great detail that we're no longer under the law, but now we're under grace as followers of Jesus. Grace saves us. It gives us the power to live righteously in this world. It transforms our hearts. It changes our desires. We have a new heart. We have a new mind in following him. And knowing that, knowing how much we've been changed in our heart and in our mind, it makes this rhetorical question that Paul is asking all the more ridiculous to his audience. He's saying, am I free to sin? I've been changed in my heart. I've been changed in my mind to follow Christ. But am I free to sin? He's saying, heck no, you're not. This question is born out of a very shallow understanding of grace. It's a very shallow faith that asks this question. Now that I've prayed this prayer, I'm good to go, right? I'm good with this whole eternity thing. I've checked that box. Now let me go and grab a big bowl of sin and go face down in it. That's not the way. Paul's response here in verse 1, verse 1 before, as well as here in verse 15, is the exact same thing. It's an emphatic no. He's saying, you have been changed. That's not who you are anymore. And then verse 16, if you're following along, backs it up by stating that all of humanity is either a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. There's no third option. We can't be a slave to sin and following Jesus at the same time. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Meaning we can't be in habitual, unrepentant sin and be following Christ in obedience. Yes, we can be walking with Christ in obedience. Sin is still part of our lives. We can trip up. We can stumble. We can come to him in repentance and try to change our ways. But if we wake up in the morning with a thought on my mind that I'm going to do this sin today, then we're not following Christ in obedience. So we have to ask ourselves, am I a slave to sin? More specifically, we can pick a few out. Are you a slave to jealousy? Man, I want that sweet Jeep Wrangler Ultimate Freedom Edition. I really want it. Are you a slave to that jealousy? Or... I've got this Jeep Wrangler Ultimate Freedom Edition. Does that make you a slave to pride? How about anger? Holding resentment or a grudge against fellow Christian? Are you a slave to that? What about your ambitions? Your appetites? Whether they be financial or sexual or physical, are you a slave to those ambitions? Look inside yourself and have the courage to call it what it is. Realize that you're prone, having that sin nature, to wander back into sin 
and confess that those things have taken God's rightful place this morning. None of this makes you unlovable to God. What it means is that you are a sinful creature saved by grace who needs that grace every single day. Lean on your Lord for that grace. Declare to him that we are helpless to change without him. Don't turn away from him and wander back into sin. Don't wander back to Egypt by listening to the voice of your taskmasters. Thanks be to God that you've heard a different voice. Let's look at that different voice in verses 17 through 19. Paul says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 17 there speaks of becoming obedient to the heart, to a new standard of teaching. A new voice has taken control of your heart, Christian. You know this voice. It's the voice of Jesus. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. His voice means being his disciple. If you're following that voice, it means being his disciple, following in his words, in his ways, imitating what he did. Are you? Or will you follow his voice? That's the question that's asking us this morning. Will you follow his voice to forgiveness? Are you going to keep harboring that resentment or that grudge? Will you follow his voice of purity? Are you going to keep on living the way that you're living currently? Are you going to follow his voice into deeper obedience? Or are you comfortable just staying distant, trying to do this solo? Remember, the voice you follow indicates who you obey. And who you obey is also indicated by something else. And that's the output of your heart. It's easy to see who you obey by what your heart produces. Let's read 20 through 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So our first point, which was who do you obey, is indicated by our second point of what fruit do you reap. As we just read in verses 20 to 22, Paul is giving us a snapshot of our spiritual lives. Before Christ and after Christ. Before we were totally depraved. We were completely engulfed in sin, captivated by it, and our hearts were hardened and unable to pursue righteousness. It wasn't something that we could do. We might look in the mirror, think, yeah, I look all right. We might look in front of others, we might look okay. So in verse 21, he's asking, would you get it as a result of all that slavery? What did it get for you? What fruit did that slavery experience for you? And whatever purpose we thought we might have had, whatever experiences or pleasures that might have come out of it, what was revealed is rotten fruit. We were like an apple that you see on the shelf in the store. 
off the tree. It's kind of dull, but it gets waxed and polished, and it's a picture of beauty. And then you bite into it. You ever bite into a really mealy apple? Gross. Or you bit into it, and you realize it's rotten, and the worm pops out and says, what's up? <laughs> That's the picture of it. Or it's a whitewashed tomb, beautifully polished on the outside, this beautiful tomb to where you look at it, and the architecture and the beauty of it is just astounding. But then you crack that door, you crack the seal, and what's on the inside is rotten, putrid. It's full of death and decay. That was who we were before Christ. It's pretty bad. But thankfully, it doesn't stay that way. I love it when the Bible does this. We see this holy conjunction there at the beginning of verse 22. We see, but now, separating who we were before to who we are in Christ. It says, but now, we walk with Christ. Life has been restored for us. We're still slaves, but now we're slaves to God. And the fruit that we produce is no longer rotten. This happens by sanctification. The process of completely being reworked by the Spirit. Having the Spirit come into this fruit-bearing garden and retill the ground so that it can produce good, healthy, beautiful fruit. Sanctification is a very beautiful doctrine. God the Father has attributes that describe him. God Almighty, holy, perfect. He has attributes about himself that are God's alone. Things like him being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Things like God being eternal. Those are things that describe God that are God's alone. God also has attributes that describe him that can be passed along to us. Things like love, peace, joy. Those are called communicable. They can be spoken out. They can be breathed out to his creation. And when we were created... Those attributes were given to us. And as we walked with him in the garden, as we were in direct communion with him, we displayed the attributes of God, those communicable attributes. But then sin entered the picture. When sin came in, it distorted everything. It worked like a virus in us. And it displaced those attributes of God that are in us, and it buried them and pushed them aside, and it infected our hearts and our lives so that those beautiful attributes no longer showed. But where this doctrine of sanctification gets really beautiful is it doesn't end there. When we become followers of Jesus Christ through simple faith, the Holy Spirit indwells us, lives in us, works in us, and begins chipping away at that sin. Big chunks, maybe scalpel, cutting out little chunks, and eventually as that sin starts to dissipate, those beautiful attributes of God begin to show themselves in our lives. We begin to display and mirror God, our Savior, because these attributes are now on display. So what fruit do you reap? Are you still a slave to sin, bearing that awful, rotten fruit? Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 5 as the desires of the flesh. That's the fruit of the law, the fruit of, fruit of slavery to sin. He says those things are sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. I'm not going to hit them all, because if I hit them all, you might think mine wasn't in there. But he's saying things like this are the desires of the flesh. So whatever sin is in your life, it makes that list. And these are byproducts of being a slave to sin. Or is the fruit you reap the result of being bound to Christ? 
as we live as slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus, as we yield to the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives, we begin to experience the fruit of obedience. Paul tells us exactly what that fruit is in Galatians chapter 5 as well. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The presence of the Spirit-given fruit in our lives, even if it's not a great big apple yet, it might be just a bud on the tree, but if you can see that that fruit is emerging in your life, that is proof that you're obediently bound to Christ. But right now in our world, we're seeing a great harvest of the flesh. What was once created as beautiful and pure and wonderful is being gathered up as putrid and rotten. And we are not transformed in the image of Christ to hide in the corner with our little garden of perfect fruit. Church, it's time to get that fruit out to the market. To get it out in the community. To put that fruit on display because when the world looks at you and they see this beautiful fruit, that's an indicator to them that something's different. Something's changed. And that's the power the changing work of the Holy Spirit on display in your life to a lost world. You've got to get it out there. You have to show it to them. And as we wrap up this morning, finally, we've determined whose slave we are. The text is going to confront us with a very direct line in the sand. It's a very one-way-or-the-other statement in verse 23, the very popular Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we close, the text is asking us through this verse, what destiny awaits you? The old self is a slave to sin. We work for sin every single day. And when it's at the end of that day for sin, what's the paycheck? The paycheck is death. Eternal separation physically and spiritually from a holy God. It's hell. It's suffering. But the new self that's under grace doesn't work. We don't strive and struggle to earn a wage. In fact, we can't earn it. The gift that's offered was purchased and worked for for us on our behalf. And the payout of the gospel, when we get to the end, the payday there is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We don't have to wait for it. The moment we come to Jesus in faith, it's payday, eternal life. You don't have to wait till you die to receive it. Eternal life is here with us to live out on earth every single day. So what destiny awaits you? Is it life in Christ by simple, obedient faith? Or is it death in sin? If you've chosen life in Christ, if that's your path, then follow the Lord of your life in producing fruit. Yield to the work of the Spirit in your life. Produce that fruit of obedience and put it on display for this world to see. This world can keep its messed up view of freedom. This world can keep its rotten fruit. We have so much more to offer by the Spirit. I choose Christ. I choose obedience. I hope that's your choice as well. Lord, we thank you. 
We thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word this morning, how clear it is that we can follow you in faith to eternal life, to righteous living on this earth, or we can follow in sin, which leads to death. Lord, help us to see that if we choose not to make that decision, it doesn't lead to life. It necessarily leads to death. I pray that we will follow you obediently. If there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, oh, Lord, make today be the day. Pray that your spirit would be awakened in their life, that their heart would be beating for you, that it would be undeniable that they're drawn to you and they would come to you in faith today with a simple prayer of, Lord, I believe what you did is true. I believe that what you did is everything I need to be saved. I pray that they'll take hold of that claim today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for offering yourself as a sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.